everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of Gin and Beer It. I am Meg, and this week I am very excited to be joined by James. James, welcome to Gin and Beer It. Hi, Meg. How are you? <laughs> Good, thanks. Thanks so much for joining this evening. So, James, could you please tell the listeners a little bit about yourself? You happen to be a fellow podcaster, which is great, um, as well as what drink you've chosen to talk about today. Uh, yeah, so I live in uh, Manchester in the northwest of England. Um, I've been here for about six years, I've lived in different places around the country. Um, I do um, a podcast called uh, the Lockdown Cocktail Podcast at Lockdown Drinks on Instagram and Twitter. Um, and the idea of that was very much um, when lockdown started, I'm out panic buying toilet paper and pasta and flour. Um, and so with the bottle of gin and other stuff that I can find that's in the supermarket, can I make drinks? So it's not about premium brands and um, a wide selection of ingredients. It's about with the stuff that I've got nearby, um, what cocktails can I make that are going to be okay? Yeah, I love, and I've listened to a bunch of your podcasts, and that's kind of what I love about it because um, I got, I've always loved drinking, but I got really into actual um, drink making during lockdown, I think, like so many other people did. But you watch a lot of YouTube videos and stuff like that to learn, and they're all amazing. Um, and I have some, you know, YouTube channels that are my favorite, but they tend to be run by people who work in the industry, which is great. I mean, those are the people you'd want to learn from. Um, but those people tend to have training that the average Joe wouldn't have. And they also tend to have access to liquor, um, and knowledge of liquor that the average person wouldn't have. So I think that was something that I struggled with, but I found your podcast, um, just really not fussy. I particularly liked your dry martini episode because I think everyone can get very opinionated about their favorite martini. Um, the specs that you chose for yours happened to be, um, I think you did six to one. That's that's my favorite as well. I, I like a fairly dry martini. But the point that you made in your episode was, hey, whatever martini you like is the best martini for you. And I think that's important because I think um, sometimes people just within the cocktail world can get a little bit uppity about about their their preferences. And the important thing is that you're making something that you enjoy, especially if you're making it at home with your own ingredients that you went to the trouble to buy. So yeah, that's something about your your show that I really appreciate. There's only so much space in, in the cupboards in your house for all the booze. And if you have to have a different brand of vermouth for each drink or a different gin um, or... Um, uh, you know, different spirits and uh, bitters and stuff. There's not, there's not the space or the time no. to do that. And and you know, don't make it hard on yourself. Uh, and you know, you come home from work and you want to quickly make a drink and enjoy it and wind down. Um, and uh, it, it's not about making it hard and challenging yourself too much. Yeah, exactly. And I also think that one of the one benefits of this horrible, you know, pandemic situation that we've all been living through is we've all been saving quite a bit of money. Um, and if you get into the really niche um, liqueurs and, and different types of spirits and things like that, I mean, the, those things are great to experiment with. And if you, you want to, that's great. But that it can get very expensive to the point where um, it would be much cheaper, you know, just to go try it at your your favorite cocktail bar and not worrying about buying an entire bottle of something that you might never want to drink again. So, yeah, it's important to just focus on the staples that you can you can make your favorite drinks with. So, with that being said, yeah. what have you chosen for your drink today? Uh, I've chosen bitter. Um, which cheers! I've got a, a glass of cheers. it here. Cheers. 
Excellent. Uh, uh, type of beer, um, and it's for me. It's it's the it's the taste of. Um, I was going to say my childhood. It's not the taste of my childhood. <laughs> it's, it's the it's the taste that as a young man that I, I sort of grew up with. I suppose. Um, I um, when I started going to the pub. Um, I didn't really know anything about beer. My parents had drunk wine and stuff like that. And my dad hadn't really been a beer drinker. And when me and friends started going to pubs, I drank lager because that's what everybody else did and I didn't know any better. Um, and this is, um, you know, I'm middle-aged now, so this is at a time when you'd go into the pub and there'd be um, Foster's and Colin Black Label and that was pretty much it. That wasn't a lot of choice. Um, so it was it was often vodka that wasn't great, um, and uh, by the end of the night you'd be full of gas and bloated, and it was really uncomfortable, <laughs> and it, it sort of attacks the back of your throat. It's not nice to drink more than you know more than a, more than one of those anyway. So I was out with um, some friends. We were, we were away for the weekend camping in the Yorkshire Dales, and um, we were in the pub, and. I was not enjoying my second or third lager. And somebody said, well, drink bitter. That's really nice. And I, I thought, well, but it's called bitter. Why would I want to drink something that's called bitter? That's, that's ridiculous. Um, and so they said, have a shandy. So um, uh, the uh, barmaid poured out um, a half a pint of lemonade, stirred it vigorously with a spoon to get all the bubbles out of it, uh, and topped it with bitter from the pub, from the pump. And it was delicious. Uh, and refreshing, uh, and I really enjoyed it. And over that weekend, they taught me to drink bitter. And and so by the end of it, I wasn't having it as shandy anymore. I to was just slowly reduce the lemonade. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and it was just an idea that hadn't really come to me. You know, you'd, you'd um, uh, I grew up in Blackburn in Lancashire, and uh, two breweries in the town. That there's there's a story about about beer manufacturing Blackburn, which I, I will rant about at length later. Um, but you'd go into the pubs. Um, most of which were Thai pubs, so they, they were operated by a brewery or, or the, the people running the pub had to buy their beer from that brewery. And, and basically there'd be a lager, a bitter and a mild, and you, you chose one of those. Um, and I'd been drinking the lager because I didn't know any better. Um, so when I came back from the holiday, I was drinking the bitter and enjoying the pub a lot more. Yeah, that's great. Now, I um, I moved to the UK and I moved to London. I've never lived outside um, of London since I've been in the UK in 2016. So after once I'd moved to London, the craft beer movement had kind of already hit here um, because I went on a tour of Meantime Brewery in Greenwich. Um, and the tour guide, who's actually American, strangely enough, but he went through the just the history of beer in London in general, which was really interesting. But he said exactly what you said, that it used to just be you'd just go order lager, bitter, mild. And I just didn't. I was like, what is that? Um, and then it was – I was up north at, at one point, and one of my friends just went up and ordered two pints of bitter. And I was like, oh, I didn't – because just in London, like, it's just before my time, but there's plenty of places – um, where you can still just order like that. And I just thought that was so interesting. But actually, beer-wise, bitter is is my favorite because it's it's like a pale ale, um, which I prefer. Because I, I agree with you, like a pint of lager is like eating a loaf of bread. Like it, like some of them are are nice, but it's it's a lot. Um, I've always I've always preferred the taste of bitter. Yeah, good. I'm glad to hear it. it, it <laughs> uh, I mean, I mean, I. I don't know if you've tried the mild. Um, 
it's uh, an acquired taste. It wasn't for me. Um, I, I had it well. And in the Northwest, um, people would drink um, mixed, which would be half and half of bitter and mild. Um, obviously, endless variety in mixing your drinks together everywhere. Um, so is mild more like an amber ale type? It's a lot darker. Okay. Um, yeah, uh, darker. Um, so so p- people used to, um, I, I know you've, you've been looking at the, the history of this as well, but people used to ask for, the breweries would call, um, would have pale ale and mild. And people would go into the pub and ask for bitter as opposed to the mild beer. Mm-hmm. It wasn't what the breweries were calling it. It's just people used and, and I suppose you know the usage becomes official because that's what everybody say exactly uh, yeah um so um uh they tend to take the mild and the bitter um, and the lager um and, and yeah so I mean the mild I've not drunk mild an awful lot um because it's like it's like the water from the sink after being mm-hmm. it's it's dark and and um you know yeah I never found it had a good head and and it just it's not um I suppose Sour's not quite the right word. It's it's not. It's, it's another flavour that. that mm-hmm. But but you know that that's that there'll be mild drinkers up and down the north of England shouting. Yeah, and I think I, I mean certainly my beer taste has evolved because uh, recently I was in Eastbourne um, hiking the Seven Sisters down the coast with some friends, and um, my friend Eddie is just a you know, an avid drinking enthusiast really, really knows his beers, especially Belgian beers. But we went to this pub that it was one of those where it looked quite nice on the outside and then it wasn't really that great on the inside. And I was like, oh, I wonder what Eddie is going to order because he, you know, he just likes the finer things. And he ordered a pint of Guinness. And I was like, oh, you ordered Guinness? And he was like, yeah, I ordered Guinness because it's just consistent wherever you go. He's like, you don't, you know, it, yes, like it might be a bit better in Ireland and stuff, but he's like, you can literally get it in Australia. You can get it at any pub and you just, you, you know what Guinness is going to be. Um, and I hadn't had Guinness since I went to Dublin years ago and I was like, Oh, can I, can I try it? Um, which I guess trying a sip of someone's drink isn't probably COVID safe these days. But I was like, Oh, can I try it? And he was like, yeah, of course. And when I did, when I went to the the um, Guinness storehouse years ago, I you know tolerated it for the novelty of being in Dublin, but I I really it just wasn't for me. And then when I had another sip, um, you know, this past year, two weekends ago, I was like, that's actually really not that bad. Um, so I think that I think our tastes do evolve when it comes to beer. Um, but yeah, I don't. I don't know that I've ever tried mild, but it, it's never, when I've been in a pub, it's never really struck my fancy. I, I'm not sure it's a thing that you see as much as you used to. Yeah. I think, you know, perhaps if, you, if you're in a pub that's near the brewery or, or in a town where it's made, it, it might be a thing. But I don't think um, it's it's something that you see as often behind the bar as you used to. Yeah, definitely. Would you say that the all the craft beers and stuff have made their way up to, to Blackburn where you're from, or would you say it's still? Yeah, I, I think, I think the, the whole, you know, artisan beer thing is, is everywhere now. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, uh, every, everywhere has, has small breweries. I, I mean, uh, so Blackburn had two big breweries when I, w- I was growing up. There was Thwaites' and Matthew Brown's, both based in the town, uh, both pretty much in the town centre. Um, Matthew Brown's gone now. Thwaites' uh, still exists, 
Uh, they've moved out of town. It's a much smaller brewery than it used to be. But it, it's it, it, the brewery was founded in 1807 by Daniel Thwaites, and it's his descendants who still run it, um, which is, you wow. know, over you know over 200 years and, and, and the family's still in the business that's that's a great thing and Swates has had an impact that had an impact in Blackburn um always that they, they the town centre brewery was a big red monolith it was a big huge tower um a big square uh, and in red lights on the side it said Thwaites and the letters must have been 20 feet high they, they were massive they were right at the top and, and in the winter you could see them from everywhere because it was the highest thing in the town mm-hmm. um, bright red and it was lit up and um, from December 1st they put a huge star on top of the tower um which you could see from miles away and, and you knew Christmas was coming because space had their star oh that's lovely and, uh, they they, they uh, made a lot of people redundant at one point and the the probably apocryphal tale is that uh, the uh, brewery electrician went and tampered with some of the wires on the sign and took out the h and the i and the E, so instead of saying Swites, it said Twats, uh, and uh, that, was, that was, you know, their commentary on the, the way that the business was being done at that point. Everybody's <laughs> got a photograph to prove it, but that was the story. Oh, that that is a great story, and I feel like, I mean, someone had to take advantage of that opportunity. <laughs> too, too good not to miss. Um, and uh, Thwaites has had its, its impact on Blackburn in lots of ways. I mean, the, the building was very imposing. That modern brewery site was really imposing. Not there anymore. If you want to visit the town, it's, it's, it's long gone. They, they, they've moved out into the Ribble Valley. It's much smaller, much more like a microbrewery. In the 1960s, they brought back Shire horses to deliver the beer. Wow. Um, they had horse-drawn dray wagons going around the town centre. So all the all the pubs in the town centre that were within a, a, a day's horse trip from the brewery got their beer delivered by horse-drawn dray wagons. Um, I love that. That's great. There were, there were people following them around, scooping up the manure to throw on their roses and stuff like that. Um, <laughs> and smell the hops. Um, you knew when they, when Thwaites was brewing because the town stank. It was... Mm-hmm. Um, it, and it, it would wash right over the town centre, and, and you, you always knew when, when they had a, a brew on because you could really smell it. It was an intense, sort of dank aroma. <laughs> that got so, is Thwaites kind of just a, a symbol of pride in Blackburn? Like did, did everyone seem to drink Thwaites at the pubs? Like, was it quite popular with pub yeah, goers? I mean, it was the bigger of the breweries in the town. Um, there was also Matthew Brown's, and I, I, used to, I used to quite like the Matthew Brown bitter. It was perhaps a little bit lighter than the Thwaites's. I, I drank them both, whichever was around. Mm-hmm. But I, I quite like Matthew Brown's. You, you, you have to ask for a pint of Matty Brown's. Matty. <laughs> um, and their brewery was in a part of town called Little Harwood, and, and you got the feeling that it was local people who worked there, because if you, if you were driving past at shift change time, you'd see people walking to and from, and... Um, apparently the, the people who worked at the brewery got part of their salary in beer and oh. on Friday when it was payday you'd see people uh, dragging a shopping trolley with them the, the little two-wheel trolleys that grannies used to go yeah. to the supermarket you'd be having a trolley with them uh, and coming home from work the trolley was obviously a lot heavier and that they've got a trays <laughs> of beer in there and, and that was that was part of how they got their salary which was a great idea if you've got friends around you'd say you know this is the beer that I make. This is the place I work at. It's a, you know, it's a great mar- way of spending the marketing budget. Yeah, that, no, that, that is, that is a great idea. Yeah. 
That's um, really, it's a really interesting uh, history. Yeah, the, the, Matthew Brown's has gone. That that was bought out by um, Thigston's, uh, which was a Yorkshire brewery, uh, and then went to Scottish and Newcastle, who uh, make um, uh, uh, brown ale, Newcastle brown mm-hmm. ale, um, uh, and it closed in uh, nineteen ninety one. So it's not survived, but that that had had a run. They'd been in they'd been in um, brewing since sort of the eighteen twenties. So it had a, a good long run, um, and I think for you know not a massive place it's not Blackburn's a town not a city it, it's um it has a cathedral it, it's I think it's one of the biggest towns in England that's not a city um but for, for uh, you know a relatively small place I think there probably wasn't the demand for it and, and you know interested to consolidate and change um but uh the 1991 the year Matthew Brown's shut was the year that I left Blackburn to come and work in London for a bit so I don't think I really noticed they'd gone and then I came back and then suddenly it wasn't there. And, and you know, you, you don't notice at first and then you, you sort of, you miss it after the fact. Um, so yeah. Nice. Yeah. I've had so many places that businesses that were around in the town that I grew up in. Um, I, I've had that experience where you go back and it's gone and you were like, oh, I didn't really realize that I would have missed that random, you know, chicken shop or whatever. <laughs> but yeah, no, and I think it's interesting what you said about, um, Newcastle buying them like I think it just that seems to be something that happens so much in the beer making industry um, just with, like Beaver Town has always been my one of my favorite beers since I moved here Gamma Ray is their American Pale Ale and then they have Neck Oil which is a session IPA great beers but I think they were bought by Heineken probably two or three years ago um and it was great at first because now any pub in London pretty much has has neck oil or beaver uh, or gamma ray but the I mean I, I don't pretend to be any sort of beer expert but you can tell the quality has gone down a bit just now that it's being mass produced um and same with that meantime brewery in Greenwich that I visited um they were purchased by Asahi I think and the tour even though the history was really interesting the tour guide kept like making all these comments about how nice Asahi is but he he was trying to make them as though he was saying it but it, like because when we went on the tour I didn't realize that Asahi had bought Meantime um, and I was like did you notice how he kept making just you know just kind of complimenting Asahi like it's like this great brand and he's just being really impartial and then we googled it and I was like oh, okay that kind of just discredited everything that he said on that tour so you want brands to survive and, and you want you want products to survive and, and you know I think in, in this day and age that that means a lot of them are, are gonna if they're successful they're gonna attract the attention of, of investors or or bigger businesses and, and and become part of it um it's better than that that they're shut down or, or that they oh you know, definitely failing in competition so you know the, the independence is it, it, it's like um you know everybody likes the the indie group's first album and then when they get signed to a, a proper label well i don't have another successful you know it's that kind of deal it's um, it's very true yeah there's definitely benefits and drawbacks like for me with beaver town beers i'd rather you know, maybe a, a slight kick in quality, but be able to, it's one of my favorite beers and I can literally get it at any pub in London versus like you said, it just goes away forever because it's hard for those, those small breweries to survive on their own. Yeah. And, and it, it saves you having to do a treasure hunt around the pubs of London, finding the ones yeah. that you want. So, yeah, helps. absolutely. But um, yeah, it's just interesting. I mean, I'll be interested to see with this pandemic, what is going to, 
I don't really know how, I mean, I'm sure beer production has gone down just because I'm sure they, they had less, the breweries would have had less people working at once, you know, for safety measures and everything. But I haven't read much about how that industry has been hit. It'll be interesting to see. Well, there, there was, um, there, there was rumors, wasn't there, of um, there being a shortage of Marmite, um, which is yeah. uh, byproducts um, from the brewing industry. They get they get their yeast from the local brewers, and, and the, there was talk, wasn't there, of Marmite becoming, you know, hard to find on the supermarket shelves because the manufacturers of it weren't getting the uh, less leftover um, used byproduct yeast from yeah. the brewery. So yeah, I'm, that's I'm sure really interesting. I never, I never thought about the link between the two, but it definitely makes sense. Yeah, um, uh, and so um, I, I think that you know the, the sort of bringing it back to to to, to um, bitter a little bit. What's been interesting for me recently has been the um, uh, sort of success of IPAs, um, uh, which often is um, just. A fancy name for bitter it's it's mm-hmm. tough um and uh you know it might be smaller batches and made at smaller breweries and they've thrown in um you know a few botanicals or a bit of citrus or something just to give it a, 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 a kick but as a beer product it's, it's from the same roots you know it, yeah. it's part of the same family tree um and i sort of fell into to you know drinking the odd IPA without really thinking about that but it is it is basically the same stuff that I was drinking when I was 17 18 which is quite yeah nice. no I, I think you're absolutely right because when I was doing my research on bitter I was like actually most of my favorite beers I think would technically fall under this category um and went like on the Wikipedia page and they have all the um the subcategories of bitter like a, a session ale which is you know just usually i think it's like a whatever three and a half percent to 4.2 or something like that most of my favorite beers fall into that category so yeah i think i think you're absolutely right um they might throw some extra things in there and i think like you said vernacular changes and what people want to refer to thing as but two things as um but at the end of the day they all have the the same backbone my yeah 18 year old son um, we went. We had a week in Bruges uh, last year for the family holiday when we were allowed to travel, which was lovely. And uh, he loved the Belgian beers; really enjoyed that. Um, he, he likes the Belgian beers, and he likes a, a craft lager. He, he talks about um, bitter and IPA and the stuff that I drink is dad beer. He's really <laughs> about it. Oh, is that more dad beer that you've got? Um, uh, I have to put up with the abuse because. He's allowed to, I suppose. See that? I mean, yeah, I'm I'm a bit older than 18 at this point, so maybe I'm just not hip anymore. But I, I, I've always thought of lagers as dad beer. Um, but, yeah, no, the, the Belgian beers are great. They The, the beer drinking scene there is um, is crazy. It's I had I had some friends that went on a stag do there literally just for the um to Brussels that is literally just for the purpose of of trying all the different beers and they had a really good time so yeah and they have some very high alcohol content beers in yeah time as well yeah. um, it's like wine oh yeah um, yeah astonishing um, uh, and uh, uh, a lot of it well some of it is really delicious really really nice stuff oh yeah yeah. Definitely. So are there, so of the, the, you know, the IPAs and stuff that you said you drink now where you feel like they kind of call back to the, the bitters of your youth, are there any particular brands that you really enjoy? Um, not specifically. I will tend to, 
Um, I don't just don't go to the pub that often now, but when I do, um, I'll often have an IPA and I'll, I'll have what they've got. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so um, you know whether it's the the beer that's made around the corner or if it's a microbrewery, the thing that's made in the pub, um, or, or whatever they're promoting, what they've got that's a, a, a special that week. I'll you know I'll try those. Um, uh, probably a very disappointing answer, I suppose. Brewdog. Um, yeah, uh, I love Brewdog. And they've got, you know, they, they brew here in Manchester. Um, so, uh, you know, that, that's that's an easy win. You know, you, you know, it's like the Guinness. It's consistent. You know what you're going to get. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but part of the fun of the IPAs is that there's so much variety in them. It's it's almost better not to have a favourite because you just you look on the supermarket shelves. What have they got? Well, that looks nice. That's what I fancy tonight. Um, or, you know, when you're in a pub, I'll have that one. Um, uh, if in doubt, what's got the best name? Yeah, it's all—it's always the name. It's always the if some of them have very unique tap or symbol or something like that. Definitely, I think I did that yesterday at Sunday lunch. I was just like, "Oh, this label looks pretty. I'll go for that one." I, I think if, it, if it's um, if it's a type of beer that you're going to like, um, it's quite nice to be surprised and, and just to try something that, that's a bit unfamiliar and, and to see what it is. Definitely. So, do you feel do you feel like you're you've still enjoyed beer quite a bit during lockdown, or do you feel like you're Beer consumption's gone up or down since we've all been spending more time at home. Uh, I, I think my beer consumption has, has gone down generally over the years. Um, mm-hmm. I, uh, I drink more wine. Um, uh, I think wine's a, a lovely drink to have at home. Um, uh, you know, you can you can have, a, you can have bottles on the shelf and, and open them as and when you want them, and it you know it, it keeps. If you if you don't finish the bottle, you can put the cork back in it. Yeah. Um, uh, it's it's all right for a couple of nights. There's no problem with that. Um, obviously, we've been enjoying cocktails. Um, I've done 26 episodes of the podcast since that started, and we've had a different cocktail each weekend um, to do that. We started drinking cocktails about five years ago at home. Um, we bought a cocktail cabinet, we, which we thought was a lovely piece of furniture. We uh, Before that, we'd make a gin and tonic, um, and that yeah. was not as exotic as it got. Um, and when we bought this cabinet, we said um, it's what it's not going to be is all of our furniture at the time was filled with the kids crap there was just <laughs> and, and we said this is a really lovely thing and it's going to be for us and we're not going to let the kids fill it with crap we're going to put things in it um, and uh, so we started buying um, a few more spirits and I, I came across a thing a service called Shaken which was a subscription service for cocktails mm-hmm. it's 24 quid a month and they sent you a box with a spirit um uh, and uh, some mixes some stuff to put in so there'd be a spirit and then like so when it was the gin package you got um a really good brand of gin and some um uh, vermouth and a little bottle of campari um and so you know you made a negroni, a negroni and, yeah. and there'd be enough bits to make the negroni and a drink similar to it. So I think that box was a Negroni and a Boulevardier. Um, but, but whatever it was, each time there was enough ingredients to make uh, two different drinks and to make two portions of that drink. So you and a friend can try two drinks each month. Each month. Yeah, that sounds good. A couple of, of friends do the the craft gin club. Yeah. Um, that they... That, and. They've been trying, I mean, because like any of those other clubs, if you refer a friend, you get a little bit of a discount. So I know there's some incentive for them. But it I, it, it does look really good. But um, is it Shaken, the one that you were just speaking of? 
it, it ran for, I don't know, 12 or 18 months, something like that, and then they, they pulled the plug on it. They, they were having a great time, but not, not making any money. It, it was it was sort of successful uh, as an idea, and there was quite a good community around it, but they, they weren't making any money, so, you know, they, oh, they, they were That's a shame. So, um, but it was a good on-ramp for us. It came at just the right time because it introduced us to... Um, a few recipes so one of the first recipes we got from it was gimlets which is really simple but delicious um and uh, it, it, it it sort of got us over that fear of starting to mix things and and, and you know finding recipes and, it, and it, it got us started um and it, it meant that when we started um uh, looking at cocktail books and looking online for recipes and stuff like that we had a better idea of what we were doing and what we wanted to find out about because you know we've taken our baby steps um, if you like uh, with shaken um, uh, and I think it's probably not something that you'd subscribe to forever because there are cheaper ways of buying drinks um, but to, to learn about stuff and, and to be exposed to new brands new products it was a really great idea yeah definitely definitely and if it's um small portions then if there's something that you don't care for that much you just know not to buy it or if there's something you love you go out and get a full bottle for yourself I think that's a great way to dip your toes into different drinks yeah and and I you know I think they're, they're like you said the craft gin club and, and stuff like that there are, there are loads of similar similar things going and, and you know some of them will stay around and some will, will probably not be here forever um but um I mean, for, for us, lockdown, it, it's been um, cocktails and wine. We, we've, um, I, I think we, we sort of hardened in the cocktails. We, we'd, we'd, you know, we'd sometimes go, well, we're not doing much this weekend. We're not getting up early, so we can have a cocktail. Um, or the weekends, we go, we're a bit busy. I'm a shift worker, but sometimes I work at the weekends. So we think, well, we'll, we'll take it easy and we'll, we'll not have a cocktail. Since lockdown started, we've been bang on the cocktails. Uh, every weekend because it's been uh, you know it's it's been it's been a fun thing to do <laughs> and there have been weeks when it's been nice to have that to look forward to oh yeah no definitely that it, it was a huge it was for a while in lockdown as much as I hate to say it it was one of the only things I looked forward to you know I there was a period where I was kind of treating myself to a different bottle of something whether that just be a new thing of bitters or a new vermouth or a new wine um during lockdown just to have <laughs> something new to look forward to um, besides just a different program on Netflix. But yeah, I think there just, there has to be such a, a massive community of people that really got into the cocktail making during the lockdown because we finally all had the time to do it. The the, the thing that's impressed me has been the people who've built shed bars. Um, yes. I, I, I um, wasn't on drinks Instagram until I started doing the podcast um, and Drinks Instagram is a bit of a wild place. Um, I was surprised at some of the stuff that goes on there. But the, the shed builders have been brilliant. And I, I followed quite a few of them because they, they've all been interesting journeys. And, um, you, you know, to have the, the strength of character and, and the fortitude and, and the, the wit to not just make a cocktail at the weekend, but to build a, a shed in your garden that's going to be the bar. Um, I've been impressed by those guys. Oh yeah, that that is my lifetime goal. I, I rent currently, but when I own my own place, I'd love to build. I'm I am a massive tiki enthusiast. Um, I got that from my parents, and I'd love to make a little tiki hideaway somewhere. It would be great. But yeah, I've I've so much respect for 
the people that set out and documented that and did it. And they always look incredible. There's a um, comedian, Ian Sterling. I don't know if you've heard of him. Um, yeah, he he just posted he and his his garden shed basically just looks like you're down the pub. It's it's, it's great. He's got um, he's got everything. But what a what a great way to to just make your home somewhere that you want to have a, a nice drink. It's just a very cool concept. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of people have been spending a lot more time than usual at home and with loved ones, and I'm sure that uh, it's really helped. Yeah, definitely. Well, thank you so much for coming on tonight. It was really great getting the chance to talk to you, and it was a drink that, no, I mean, no one's come on and done beer yet on the show, actually, so I was quite excited. Um, And really interesting history. You mentioned um, your podcast and your Instagram is, is it? lockdown cocktails uh, at lockdown drinks at lockdown drinks got it yeah um, well, it, 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 i called the podcast that i did i did this in a really badly organized and planned manner i called the, i decided to call the, the podcast the lockdown cocktail podcast and um i set up twitter and instagram accounts for it and uh, at lockdown cocktail podcast was available on twitter but you know twitter shortens everything so it became at lockdown cock and I think that's a different <laughs> podcast to the podcast I was making. So I changed it to Lockdown Drinks. That one and, might be more lucrative, uh, but... <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a whole different um, thing that I, I wasn't going into. That's classic. Yeah, no, I had the same story. I mean, my my Twitter is um, Gin and Beer at Pod and everything else is Gin and Beer at Show. And yeah, you can never seem to just link everything out no matter how hard you try. But no, I um, really enjoy the podcast for everyone listening. Seriously, check it out. It's very palatable up I mean they're usually what less than five minutes but it just it'll teach you how to make a drink and if you listen to it while you're walking around it'll inspire you to stop at the shop and get some of the ingredients and try it yourself so I think it's great all right (laughs) thanks James it was great to have you I hope you'll come back again sometime yeah it'd be a pleasure thanks Meg sure All right, everyone, that pretty much wraps us up for this week's episode of Gin and Beer It. Thank you so much to James from the Lockdown Cocktails podcast and Lockdown Drinks on Instagram for joining this week to talk about bitter beers. And it was just a topic, like I said, that we've never covered in the past before. So it was really fun. And I hope you guys enjoyed as much as I did. In terms of other housekeeping news, I have taken a very small break from the Thirsty Thursday with Jen and Beerit videos recently just because I've been really busy, but they will be coming back hopefully this week, so not to worry on those. I also have some really fun and exciting guests with amazing drinks coming over the next couple of weeks, so please make sure that you are liking, subscribing, telling your friends, rating on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. I've had a couple people leave iTunes reviews in the last couple of weeks, both in the US and in England. And it means so much. It really makes a difference. And it's such a delight to see reviews pop up. So thank you so much to everyone who's already left a review. If you have any questions or suggestions or would like to come on the show, please feel free to reach out at show at gmail.com or on Instagram at show. And I will see you guys next week. Have a good one.